is episode 322 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this episode, Chase is going to take a look at Godzilla vs. Kong and the monster universe that Warner Brothers is building out over there, and maybe some surprises after that. You'll have to tune in to find out. This is Real Me In. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to episode 322 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. I am your host, Chase Lee, and uh, yeah, uh, before we get into this um, you know, episode, if you guys want to spread this around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, that would be much appreciated. So, episode 322, I will be going over Godzilla versus Kong and my thoughts on kind of this monster universe that Warner Brothers has kind of conjured up uh, over the past four movies. And then uh, I might have something afterwards, so you'll just have to tune in to find out. But that is the main topic of conversation. Before we get into that, I want to know how you guys are doing. Is everyone doing okay out there? It's been a couple weeks since I have uh, talked to you guys uh, and all that. So yeah, if you ever need uh, someone to reach out to, uh, whether it be Joel or myself, to talk about whatever or just to say, hey, um, we are friendly people. I mean, Joel is not friendly. Um, he He's very, like, bougie. Um, if you reach out to him, uh, you have to um, capitalize every other letter, and you have to use exclamation points every single time when you talk to him. So uh, that's the only way to communicate with Joel if you want to do that. But for me, I'm normal. You can just uh, reach out to me. <laughs> but no, if you guys ever want to, like, just say hey or, like, kind of reach out or whatever, um, feel free to do so. Um, we love hearing from you guys. But what's been going on with me uh, the past couple weeks, you're probably all wondering, uh, when is the next episode going to come out after this one? This will be um, the last episode I do in this house. Uh, I probably just scared you briefly there, but no. Um, so my wife and I have found a new house, and we are looking to move in uh, May 10th. That is the closing date, so I will have a new office by then. Um, to have, you know, maybe, you know, more reviews come out and more content coming out and just have my own kind of creative space to like come up with new ideas or just have more of a consistent schedule for you guys. So I can, um, you know, pump out more than just one every two weeks or like one every two months. Um, But this, I just wanted to do one more in the old house before I got into the new house. So um, this will be uh, the podcast I record to make it last a, a couple weeks because um, I, I won't record another one until the week of May 10th. So that's just how busy I am with moving and balancing job and you know personal life and everything. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to get into the new house. Uh, it's got a lot of space, a lot of room so I can do this podcast nonsense for you guys in a different room in the house so no one can really hear me. Um, and just have my own little kind of space to do that. So yeah, really excited, um, to do that so I can just continue to do this for you all. And, uh, we really appreciate the support and just, you know, stringing along with us in this weird process, you know, ever since the, like the pandemic started and everything, we've been kind of off on our schedule. It's just been kind of all over the place because life happens, life happens sometimes. And you just have to kind of find that balance and find that right thing to do because, you know, for the longest time, I had a lot of uh, stress and anxiety, you know, making sure I had like a consistent schedule for you guys. And that really kind of weighed on me, um, you know, with the stress and the anxiety and everything. And I am going to therapy for that. So I'm hoping that it gets better. But what I've learned is that if 
you know, there's people out there that have been listening to us for like the longest time. They're going to stick with us no matter what. And so I think that puts my mind at ease a little bit. And I kind of look, I try to think more positively and like think, you know what, if I have to wait until I'm in a new house to like feel uh, a little bit more free and creative uh, and everything with not as much stuff going on, then that's what I'll do. And so, you know, I always wanted to get out something to you guys like once or twice a week, but that kind of wears on you. And it, it's, it, I'm just going to be honest and upfront with you that sometimes I just don't want to record and I don't want to do that because it's stress and anxiety is crippling. And my job is uh, 100% creative mentality. So, you know, when you're doing that for eight hours, it's hard to get into like a creative zone to want to like record a podcast or do a review. It's just a lot. And so, you know, taking this kind of like time to kind of figure out like what I want to do for like this podcast and just the future of just everything, it's a lot. And so, you know, I, I'm trying to look at it more in a positive light and kind of think about things as I go day to day rather than like the future and like worrying about like having that set schedule for you guys, but like just kind of doing it in the moment and just figuring out like what is what is reasonable for me and, you know, trying to change my mindset like that. So, that's what's been going on with me uh, mentally. Uh, as you guys know, if you've been listening to me for several years, I am just a hot mess. But we really appreciate that you guys have chosen us, the hot mess, <laughs> to listen for your movie reviews and all that stuff. So um, enough about me. Uh, that is what's been going on with my life. So yeah, uh, when I record the next one, I will be in a new place and it will be fantastic. But I wanted to do... Uh, one last one in this old house, uh, because why not? I've recorded a lot of these episodes in this very house over the past few years, so it's been quite a ride, um, but I'm excited to start the next chapter and be in a new area for you guys. Okay, so this episode, um, I wanted to go over Godzilla vs. Kong, which was the the latest in the Warner Brothers uh, simultaneous release on HBO Max and in theaters. And then kind of talk about um, just the monster universe that they've conjured up, um, pun intended. Uh, Warner Brothers, they released The Conjuring. You know, guys, sometimes my jokes are just a little bit too much. And uh, sometimes I laugh at my own jokes. And you guys are probably all eye-rolling um, as I just as I say these. And you're like, please don't ever <laughs> do those puns or jokes again. Anyways, um, you know, Warner Brothers has been really kind of pushing this monster universe and all their IP with all these monsters for, you know, since what, 2014, 2013, that's when the first Godzilla came out. And they've just been kind of grinding away, you know, just pumping out these movies and you forget about it for a little bit and then they come out with a new one and you're like, oh yeah, they're still doing that. Um, so I wanted to check out uh, uh, Godzilla, oh, my phone just went off. Oh, it says spam risk. Maybe I should answer it. You, you guys, you guys uh, think I should answer that? Um, anyways, uh, talk about Godzilla versus Kong is kind of overall thoughts. And I've done several episodes with the previous entries on this show, but just kind of, um, if, if there's new listeners out there, just kind of, um, give my brief summary on them. Uh, and then I might have an extra review, uh, at the end of Godzilla versus Kong, but you'll just have to tune in to find out. But for this portion, I want to talk about the monster universe that Warner Brothers has started and my thoughts kind of briefly on all of them leading up to Godzilla's Kong. 
So Godzilla has come out, uh, and it is 2013 or 14. I always forget the year, but I remember seeing the first trailer to Godzilla, and I was kind of blown away by how terrifying it was and how atmospheric it was, and it really just kind of pushes forward this sci-fi horror mentality, and I really enjoy that because it's something different. I mean, you're dealing with an atomic lizard, (laughs) gigantic lizard that's going throughout the city and destroying it, and I think kind of having that atmosphere and this kind of like dread that's always permeating throughout the entire movie, it really kind of sets you... uh, you know, like on your toes, like you, you're kind of uneasy. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, is Godzilla going to like destroy, you know, half the city or kill all these people? Like you, you don't know. And that's what was so scary about the first one. And I really like what Gareth Edwards did in terms of creating atmosphere. Cause it really did make for a haunting experience and something completely different that I have ever seen in a Godzilla movie, really kind of just taking it into a more of a horror route and of course, you with the cast with Brian Cranston and Aaron Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, you know, well, Brian Cranston wasn't in it that much. Spoiler alert! But it was still an interesting cast, and you know, kind of starting off this monster universe. I actually really enjoy that movie quite a bit, and so I remember watching it in theaters, just kind of blown away, and I just really enjoyed it. It was just something different and something kind of fresh. And then we move on to two thousand. 16 see obviously i'm terrible with my dates um see this is why we need joel because he would he would fact check me in a heartbeat but um with kong skull island i enjoyed it it was fun um you know it it was nice to kind of see a prequel uh to see where this story is going to kind of like converge with the Godzilla story and setting up Kong and like his backstory and all that stuff. The cast was fun. You know, majority um, of like uh, Marvel actors, uh, which was fun to see, Uh, especially it was like in the transition between like uh, I think civil war and like black Panther. So, um, you know, this was before infinity war and everything, but it was, it was just fun to see that type of cast. Uh, Visual effects were pretty great. Um, and I, like I said, I had fun with it. It wasn't anything that like blew my mind, but I think the in credit scene with because uh, I think it was Kong Skull Island that had the in credit scene of um, the kind of foreshadowing that Kong would meet Godzilla. I was like, oh, okay, Warner Brothers are trying to like this is their you know you know it's not their comic book universe, but it's like another universe that they can start building. And uh, it was it was kind of exciting. I was like, cool. Let me let me see where they go. But I had fun with Kong Skull Island. With Godzilla King of the Monsters in two thousand, look at was it eighteen now? Two thousand nineteen? I don't know. These I think they come out every three years. Anyways, um, it I remember I think semi liking it. Maybe kind of lukewarm on it. I forgot which grade I gave it. But honestly. I don't remember much. I remember some of the fights, uh, which were pretty exciting to watch. Um, but I don't really remember anything beyond that. And, you know, it, it was the the one movie in the franchise that made the least amount of money. So I was like, how in the heck are they going to do a Godzilla versus a Kong sink, sink in another 200 mil into a movie and expect it to do well when Godzilla King of Monsters did not? So 
I, I think I, if I remember correctly, Joel liked it more than me. I know that for sure. I need to rewatch it, but I don't remember much of it. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. But I do remember some of the fight sequences, which were pretty awesome uh, when Godzilla was fighting uh, uh, several versions of monsters. I, I thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, I don't remember much. So leading into Godzilla versus Kong, I was curious on how they are going to do it because all the directors they've gotten up until this point are all indie kind of low budget directors. You know, with the first one, you had Gareth Edwards, um, who did, um, what's that movie called? Was it called Monster? I forgot what it was called. Uh, I remember what the poster looked like because it was the or the crosswalking like sign, uh, like the school crossing or whatever. And then it had the title of the movie and the person was like going through the, the marshes or the swamp. I forgot what it, <laughs> uh, it looked like. I think that's what it looked like, but that I never saw it. That's all I kind of know Gareth Edwards from. And then, um, oh God, who was, who was the director of Kong? Voight Roberts. That was his last name. I forgot his first name. <laughs> Guys, my brain's all over the place today, but um, he also came from an indie, indie background. And then Michael Daughtry did Godzilla King of Monsters, and I know him from uh, Krampus, and of course, one of my favorite movies of all time, Trick or Treat. And then with Godzilla versus Kong, you have Adam Wingard, who did Your Next and The Guest. Um, I got to do a press um, uh, like conference with uh, The Guest and everything, and it was really cool to see Adam Wingard, uh, Simon Barrett, and Dan Stevens in person. Uh, that was one of my favorite um, interviews I've done. So it's just weird because like when you when you talk to these indie filmmakers and stuff, you're like, man, they made a really cool like low budget film. It's gonna have like this cult classic status, and you're like, they're gonna stay in this wheelhouse forever. But then they get plucked up by these giant studios, and they do giant blockbusters uh, like Godzilla versus Kong. You're like, how is this gonna transition? Like, are they gonna be able to put their stamp? on the film is Warner Brothers going to have full control and not let Adam do anything like, you know, that was always my curiosity with all these movies. Like how are these indie filmmakers going to transition to the bigger films? So yeah, I was, uh, I was looking forward to it uh, for sure. And to see what kind of stamp Adam would bring. And of course the fight sequences are going to have to be, be baller basically because your whole movie is relying on that. Let's just be honest. Like you want to make sure your each fight that you have the three fights throughout the movie you know the first fight is exciting second fight you uh, amp it up and then the third fight and the climax and the third act it needs to be a sight to behold and so there was a lot on adam's plate for sure um so that's kind of my overall thoughts uh leading up to um godzilla versus kong and i gotta say godzilla versus kong is it's fun, and I do like the fight sequences. I don't know if I want to watch it again. I, I know that's really weird to say, but um, yeah, I don't know if I want to watch it again. I think my favorite one still in this franchise is the first Godzilla. Always has been. I, I was just um, kind of shocked on how that one came out, and I really enjoyed its interpretation of Godzilla, but yeah, I, I don't know. This one's just kind of like in the middle for me, but I will, I will admit the fight sequences were a lot of fun to watch, especially on the uh, uh, the giant uh, airplane carrier, uh, boat, ship thing. I, 
I don't know the terminology for it, but uh, that fight was cool. And then, of course, the whole third act in the city was just <laughs> bonkers and ridiculous, but I loved it. Um, but yeah, I also don't know if I want to watch the whole thing again. So there's that. I'm, I'm just kind of like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like whatever, but like there's some bright spots in it that were really exciting. Um, so yeah, uh, let's go ahead and just break this down. There's really not much to talk about. I do want to talk about Adam Wingard for a little bit and like what he brought in terms of his stamp. Um, I honestly couldn't tell. Uh, if Adam Wingard directed this or not. Like, if you were to be like, hey, Adam Wingard directed this, I'd be like, I don't really see his style um, in this film. I think the closest thing that I was able to correlate Adam Wingard to this movie was some of the music choices, where it kind of had that um, almost 80s synth to some of them. Uh, The music choices were definitely different. And that's what I like about Adam, especially like with like the guest and your next, like he's really great at picking uh, audio cues and, you know, song choices and like working with, uh, um, you know, the composer, you know, music person or whatever. And I I think that was like the closest I could get to the correlation uh, of Adam Wingard. But other than that, I honestly couldn't tell who directed this. It was just more like, yeah, you know, it's, it's fine. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to say that uh, in terms of like his his personal stamp, I only found the music to be somewhat like him. Other than that, I didn't really see anything special about the way this thing was directed. Um, as far as the human characters go, I know a lot of people have a problem with these um, storylines and these character moments uh, in these type of films because we just want to see monsters uh, fight each other and beat the crap out of each other. So... Once again, I'm kind of lukewarm to like the whole like human interactions in all of these movies, by the way. It's not like I'm not looking for Shakespeare. I'm not looking for anything Oscar worthy. It's just padding in between uh, the fights and everything. And I think the best compliment I can give the actors, especially in this one and in all of them, to be quite frank, is that they're having fun with it. It's a goofy monster movie. You don't have to be ridiculously serious and you know with like Alexander Skarsgård and especially Brian uh, Tyree Henry their characters are goofy and like it's it's whatever I mean there's a bunch of like conspiracy theories and stuff like uh they're at play with this one uh with some of the characters and eh, yeah I know a lot of people are like upset that these these human uh characters are in these type of movies because like I know a lot of people don't really care for them and they're just kind of like a waste of time um, and they're, they're just, they're just there to pat out the movie. Well, yeah. Um, but I, I have no issue with them. Uh, I, I think Godzilla versus Kong is the shortest one out of all four. I could be wrong, but it's only like an hour and 48 minutes and all the rest of them, I think hit two hours and above. So this one's actually shorter. And I actually found all the interactions between all the human characters to be very short, precise, and they just, threw out the silly plot out of their mouths and we just moved on. And it didn't, to me, it didn't waste any time. I didn't feel bored by it. Um, You know, I got what they were going for as ridiculous as the plot was. And then we just moved on. So I I have, I'm kind of lukewarm on the whole human character approach, but I know a lot of people, this is what bothers them the most out of these movies. Okay. So let's talk about Godzilla and Kong and the fights and what, is going on with that. 
Um, I gotta be honest. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really think the CGI was like on point with this one. I thought it was a little degraded. It's really weird because it's the same issue I had with like Pacific Rim 2, also Warner Brothers. When you're having these gigantic titans or even robots uh, in Jaegers and stuff with like Pacific Rim, if you're fighting in the daylight, it is, it's hard to pull off because you're dealing with two gigantic CGI characters. So when you're in the daylight, all of your blemishes and your mistakes with the, the textures and the details and the movement, it's more prominent. And, and, and at night, you know, they're a little easier to pull off. You can kind of like mask things a little bit more because you're in the dark. It's hard, kind of hard to tell. So it's a little easier to pull off with the believability and the weight and the, just the, the heft that you want with these characters. But I found the CGI in the daylight to be a little, little iffy sometimes. Uh, where it did look like a kind of video game cutscene graphic, um, not in a good way. And it kind of threw me off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, some of the cinematography with like the fights, whether it be like the wide shots or like the the kind of like um, unstable camera movement to make it look like the camera is actually in the fight and it's a, a little bit more um, involving, like that stuff was fine. Uh, but when I got like to some of the close ups of like either Godzilla or Kong's face, it was a little off-putting. Um, and that's honestly my only complaint with the CGI is just when uh, it's either close-up or like some of the daylight stuff, it just didn't really correlate with me to make it really believable. With that aside, everything else was spectacular. Um, the fight sequences did, uh, when they were pulled off correctly, they did provide that heft and that terror that... Um, is happening right before you. I mean, there's property being destructed everywhere. There are people dying and like, it's just a really, it's exciting to watch them fight, but it's also terrifying at the same time, knowing like what's going on below them. Um, so I thought some of those uh, were really cool to watch. And I, I thought some of the uh, different tactics and moves that Godzilla and Kong had on each other were really exciting. And the, the punches that landed in each other's faces and, just throwing each other around, like some of that stuff was just really awesome to watch. And that's what you want out of these types of movies. You, like I said, you don't need Shakespeare. You don't need some type of like Oscar worthy moment in these movies. You just want to have fun with them. And I think when the fun moments do arrive and like they're just like bonkers, balls to the wall in your face. It's a, it's a real joy to watch. And I do think the hour and 45 or 48 minute runtime I think it is worth it um, for for these fight sequences, to be honest with you. If you want to just bypass everything else and get to that, yeah, just watch that on loop, and I think you'll be fine. But, um, yeah, some of this stuff was really, really cool. Um, and I do think maybe that's where Adam Wingard got to put his stamp in a little bit is maybe some of the kind of choreography on how Godzilla and Kong were going to fight and, like, some of the shots that were um, kind of executed uh, kind of provides a fresh spin on, on the fight. So I will maybe, yeah, maybe that was kind of his stamp too. Um, as I'm kind of talking about it, see guys, I can flip on the, on the dime, uh, as I'm talking about them, but yeah, um, that's about it. I don't really have much else to say. It's just lose your mind a little bit. 
and just go in knowing what you're getting and just have fun with it. Enjoy yourself. But as far as like all four of them go, I would put Godzilla versus Kong either two or three. Uh, I would put the Godzilla, like the first one always is, is my favorite one out of the four. And then I would either do Godzilla versus Kong or Kong Skull Island. And then uh, probably Emma Godzilla King of Monsters. And that's only because I haven't seen that one since I first saw it like a few years back. So maybe I need to rewatch it again. But uh, yeah, that's probably how I would just put the order. Um, so is it worth it to go see in a theater? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want to go to the theater to go see it, go for it. Um, but if you just want something in the background to play um, on HBO Max at home, I also think that's a good option. You know, it's not anything groundbreaking, but you know what? This is the most successful movie in the pandemic thus far, so it doesn't really matter what I say. A lot of people are just enjoying it regardless. But that's kind of my uh, my thoughts on the the whole movie. Like I said, there's not really much to kind of dive into, not really much to kind of go over. But I will say in terms of it being, uh, you know, giant blockbuster, two monsters fighting, you just want to kind of have fun with it. I think this one did succeed for the most part. And I, I got to say, um, I think the heroes on this movie are the, uh, the animators, rotoscope artists, the, um, you know, anyone that had to deal with like, any type of animation or CGI work on this movie, God bless you. What a fantastic job you guys did. Even if some of the shots didn't work for me and looked a little, uh, little unbelievable, um, I still think you guys killed it. Like this is a very, very hefty movie when it comes to that whole aspect. And I think they are the real heroes of this entire movie because some of these shots were ridiculous, and I could not even imagine how much time and effort it took to execute this vision um, that either Adam had or Warner Brothers had. It's just, it's daunting work. And I, I think um, really, like when you're dealing with like Godzilla versus Kong, like that's no easy feat. And I just want to say to everyone out there that did post-production work on this movie, you guys are my my heroes personally <laughs> for this movie. But what did you guys think of Godzilla vs. Kong? Please comment down below and let me know. So, uh, I guys, I could end the episode here. But maybe we should go to break. And maybe I should come back and maybe talk about... I don't know. Maybe some of the Oscar frontrunners? I'm not really sure. Let's just roll the, uh, the uh, break here and maybe... Maybe I'll talk about one of those. Stay tuned. And we are back for part two of the Real Man Coleman Movie Podcast, episode 322. Uh, I just got done talking about um, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Totally just had a brain fart there. Don't you just love when that happens live when you're recording these things? But I'm going to keep that in because you guys are going to get all of me, 100%. Uh, every time when I screw up or when I, I pause to think about something, you're getting it all. That's just that's just the joy about this show. But um, yeah, so we talked about a big old blockbuster too, you know, monster titans fighting it out and how, you know, that's just something that you can kind of just watch and enjoy and not really think much about it afterwards or maybe even a week after you see it. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. But 
Let's talk about something that's uh, a little bit more prominent, uh, which is the Oscar season. You know, I've been kind of quiet about um, the Oscar season on this show, obviously, because I haven't had time to, first of all, watch most of the nominees, and uh, second of all, even talk about just the whole awards uh, season at all. And, you know, Golden Globes happened, didn't even talk about that, all of the... uh, you know, DGA and the WGA and the PGAs and all that stuff, like, that's all happening as we speak, so, like, I haven't really talked about much of the nominees, and I'm sure a lot of you guys were wondering, like, what I think about some of them, and to be quite honest, I have not seen all the nominees, like I said, so I don't really have that much to give in terms of insight, and I'm not even going to try, but I can kind of tell you my thoughts on some of them, and I will even review one of them that I just recently saw, and that I think is going to be a front runner, just kind of given the conversation and what I've been seeing online. So one of them I did watch, and I actually talked to Joel about this, and we kind of agree on it, is that um, is, is Mank. Um, David Fincher's film, Gary Oldman, you know, black and white, old-timey Hollywood. You know, there was a lot kind of going into this that I was I was hoping would be great, because I'm a huge David Fincher fan. And so I, you know, I, I am a, an apologist for that man, you know, in most of the films that he does. I, I love the fact that he can jump from genre to genre, essentially, and create something new and different. But you always kind of feel like it's it's a David Fincher film. He's got his kind of vision and his stamp on most of the projects that he does. And that's what I like about him. You know, this is the same guy who did uh, Seven and also... The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, one of which is a a gritty police drama, um, and then the other one is like a romantic drama. It's just, it's insane. Um, So yeah, I think he's super talented, and I will usually back him up on a lot of his projects, except for this one. I can't really... I guess gather myself together to even want to see this again. It's it's like a one and done situation for me. You know, production wise, costuming, sound design, cinematography, gorgeous, exquisite, loved it. I think one of my favorite aspects about the film was the sound design and having this kind of like rough, gritty, crackly um, kind of imitation to the dialogue and just the. Uh, overall sound work to replicate the films from that era. I thought that was just absolutely amazing. And usually, you know, sound designers and Foley artists and all that stuff, they don't get enough praise, but my God, the team that did that movie, um, they should get all the praise. That was my favorite part for sure. And then of course the, the overall production design, creating the sets, the costumes, it's just really wonderful stuff. But the characters and the story and just, Everything about it wasn't really as engaging as I thought it would be. It was just kind of cold and distant. Really didn't find that connection towards anything. So it was hard to make me even want to care about Mankiewicz and his journey. You know, and the performances were kind of whatever. It just, I don't know. There was something that was kind of lacking that didn't have that punch that David Fincher usually brings. Like usually with his movies, you you have like that one performance or that one scene where you're just like, that was incredible. You don't have that with this. Um, even its lead star, Gary Oldman, I thought was just kind of like whatever. Um, kind of reminded me of his performance in The Darkest Act Hour where he won the Oscar for that. And I'm just like, I've seen better Gary Oldman performances. 
I think my favorite people in the movie were Tom Pelfrey and uh, Amanda Seyfried. But other than that, I just, it's whatever. Um, so yeah, I was kind of lukewarm on the whole experience. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> I never want to watch this again. Um, so yeah, that's just my kind of quick brief thoughts on Mank. The other one um, my wife and I saw was uh, Promising Young Woman. I think that one's probably going to sweep the the screenplay, Nam, the original screenplay. Um, and I think Carrie Mulligan has a shot. You know, she's in the conversation quite a bit from what I've just been seeing online and everything. And uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I think it's um, it's really kind of haunting stuff. And it's really kind of hard to balance a dark comedy like that and have it be as impactful and successful as it was because that's really hard to execute. So I give Emerald Fennel, um, Carrie Mulligan, all the gentlemen that were involved in the film to make it look like they're disturbing creeps. Uh, Bo Burnham, I thought everyone in that film did a fantastic job, and it was a really entertaining film and just something completely different and refreshing on the whole revenge uh, genre. And I, I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I can see that one doing some serious damage in the writing category and possibly lead actress performance. Um, let's see, what else did I see? I didn't see The Father, didn't see Sound of Metal. Uh, which one? Guys, we're going to look this up in real time. See, this is how far removed I am from all of the, um, awards and everything. I don't, I don't even know what's, what most are like nominated. I'm not even making any sense anymore. I'm just trying to like, uh, find everything. Hold on, let me go to the the Googs, the Google. Um, Academy Award nominations. Because I'm a noob and I don't know what's going on. Okay, so yeah, Sound of Metal did not see um, uh, Minari. Um, sorry if I mispronounced that. Didn't see that one. Um, and I have not seen The Father. Okay, so I have seen some of them, uh, more than I thought. I did see The Trial of the Chicago 7, and I thought that one was solid. I don't know why people hate it so much. Um, it doesn't have to be a masterpiece, and it doesn't have to be terrible, and those are your only two options. I thought that this one was solid. Like, there were parts of it I liked, and most of it was just kind of, like, lukewarm, but I I, I liked it. It's not my, it's not my favorite Um Aaron Sorkin movie by any means. And I think it's way better than Molly's game. So I'll give him that. But as far as um, uh, his directing work, I'm just really not that impressed thus far. So I'll give him a third shot for sure. But, um, you know, this one was, like I said, better than Molly's game. Just not really one I want to rewatch. But there were parts of it I enjoyed for sure. And then Judas and the Black Messiah. That film is incredible. And that's some of the best performances I've seen in a film in quite some time. I love uh, Lakeith Stanfield in it. I think he... Uh, I, I'm very confused on the nomination split because they're both nominated for supporting actor. Then, Well, then who was the lead then? Because Lakeith is the lead. <laughs> um, but I loved how he had to kind of like balance this, this character. Which, and this is all based on a true story of like someone who... Um, is working for the FBI, is infiltrating the Black Panther Party, and you can see, you know, the mission that Lakeith has in his eyes the entire time. And then 
he starts to realize that like what Fred Hampton is doing is like, you know, they're, they're parts to this cause that he really wants to stand behind. But at the same time, he's being monitored by the FBI. He doesn't know what to do. He's always conflicted. Um, so in every scenario that he's in trying to hide his identity, it's, it's nail biting. Cause you just, you worry about the guy, but it's all about the facial acting. And Lakeith is just, he's dynamite in the role. And so is uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, I, I don't know how that man pulled off uh, an American accent like that the entire time. Um, because he is British. And so um, him pulling that off and just really being this commanding presence, this leader, this inspiration that Fred Hampton was, he completely embodied that. I love the way this film looked. It kind of had, you know, that um, kind of Martin Scorsese look, uh, very just kind of like old school, like film grit on the um, the screen and just it feels epic and, and scope and I love the pacing of it. It's just, it's edited to perfection. I thought it was enthralling, disturbing, and sad at the same time. Uh, and then Shaka King as the director. I- I'm, I'm going to look out for that man now. Um, I hope he gets so much more work from this movie. But yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah, if I were to, maybe besides the one I'm about to talk about, um, that one is definitely one of my top ones for sure that got nominated. And then the last one I wanted to talk about, I just saw this one a few days ago, is uh, Nomadland. Because um, this one, I, I do believe Chloe Zhao is going to win director. <laughs> just seeing, And she won the DGA, I believe. So um, I think she's on track to win the Oscar, which is going to be a great setup for Eternals because she's the director of that. And I'm pretty sure when she wins her Oscar, um, Marvel's going to push you know, from Oscar uh, or Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao, which is going to be awesome to see in the trailer. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think Chloe's going to have a chance to win director for this one and maybe Best Picture. Um, I don't I don't see Frances McDormand winning Best Actress, even though she she's good in the movie, but she's not. I don't think she's the I don't think she's the star of the film, actually. I think it's actually Chloe because she she directed it, she wrote it, she edited. She was the this you know person steering the ship. And uh, this was kind of on her responsibility for a lot of things on this film, and I think she executed it very, very well. So um, I think that's why she's going to win director um, because she she balanced all of her, her roles on this film beautifully. But... Uh, I, I kind of love Nomadland. I, I think I have the same kind of feeling on it as I do with like Judas and the Black Messiah. I just love both of those films. And they're so completely different from one another. But that's what I like about all these nominees, even though I have not seen uh, three of them. Every one of them are different. And that's really cool. Just gives you a nice like variety of flavors to kind of pick from and be like, wow, like all these have their own merits. They're just absolutely extraordinary. But with Nomadland, it, it was a different experience because I didn't really know like what the story was about. I, like I, I didn't really know what a nomad was because I'm an idiot and I don't search things online. But um, yeah, I really didn't know what the style was going to be like. I didn't know what the story was going to be or like anything about it. And I think I was kind of just shocked uh, on how invested I was with it. I think what Chloe does really well with this film is that it feels like a documentary, um, 
but it's a fictional film. And I think it's just because it's the way the way it's shot, the way scenes kind of breathe and play out. It feels like it's an in the moment type of film. You feel like you're in this environment with these characters, and you know, I think um, some of the nomads in this film are actually real people. They're not actors, I believe. Uh, um, don't don't hold me to that, but um, yeah, I just uh, I was kind of amazed on how like kind of natural it felt, kind of organic and. You just you felt like Frances McDormand was not playing a character, but she was just herself going around to these different, you know, nomad sites and just talking to people and just hearing everyone's perspectives on life and just like what they've experienced. And that is what's so great about our species is that we are storytellers and just having people kind of talk to each other and just exchange their experiences and their their beliefs and ideologies. It's just it's really philosophical stuff and it's just it's it's not something that like hammers you in the face I thought it was just kind of like this nice kind of sweet you know um heart at uh, uh to this that was unexpected because I've I've seen some arguments online that this film is very depressing it's very sad and and then someone rebuttaled to it and this is the way I feel because I was trying to like get a sense of like what I think about the movie and someone responded and said, no, it feels more hopeful and like uplifting. I was like, it does. It, it's very inspirational. Um, yes, there there are some sad moments in it, but the conversations that she has with all the people in the movie really just felt genuine. They felt, you feel happy when you hear them talk. Like, yes, some of them are like explaining very, very sad and very personal stories, but you feel like, their positive outlook on the other end of it is what is the most, I guess, uh, emotionally resonant with it. Like there's several stories where like they talk about losing loved ones and all that stuff and how they take this positive, positive outlook and say like, you know what? I'm going to see them again. I'm going to see them down the road and I'm going to relive all of our memories once again. And so I, th- I found that kind of sweet and endearing. And, you know, there are some people um, that I do follow on Twitter, I will not name names, um, that I respect highly as critics, and they don't like this movie. They think it's long, it's kind of boring and tedious. And I think that's what's so beautiful about film is that it's it's subjective for sure. But I do find this one uh, quite refreshing. It's different. It, like I said, it feels like a documentary. It feels like you're in the moment with these people the camera work is very fluid. It feels like it's floating with the these characters, you know, walking throughout um, these these sites and everything. And you just you feel like you're a fly on the wall. You don't even feel like you should be a part of like this this story and this journey. But like this camera makes it feel so kind of light and airy. Like you just you feel like like I said that fly on the wall is just kind of observing people. And the cinematography is just kind of beautiful. It just is like I said, it's very like. Uh, free-forming it's it's definitely on a stabilizer and you just feel you feel light watching it just you know following these people very gently throughout uh throughout these situations just really pleasant to look at and I really liked all the characters in it it's just it's a journey for sure and uh you know Frances McDormand I think she's quite good in the movie um and you know just seeing like her character going through all this trauma and all this stuff that she's been through to try to figure out like what she wants in her remaining years of life and like how she wants to um how she wants to live it 
and I think that's what's really great is when she's interacting with all these people, she's trying to get get a sense of like how they found um, their purpose and their their drive in life, and how how she's taken all this kind of like feedback and information, and how she's going to form hers. And uh, you know, she's still trying to figure it out throughout the entire film. Like you don't know whether she's going to stay at one site for very long, or if she's going to move on, or she might find love once again. Um, you just don't know, but she's trying to figure it out. And we're just on that journey with her. Once again, kind of like a, a fly on the wall situation. We're just kind of there. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought the, the whole film was very poignant and just, just very like subtly sweet film that is inspirational and it is hopeful and an interesting blend of documentary type, uh, filmmaking and, um, you know, fictional. And I just, I just thought it was going to be something else. It turned out to be this, and I was pleasantly surprised. I really, really enjoyed this one. So it's on Hulu. Um, I would say the same about Judas and the Black Messiah being on HBO Max, but they took that off because they're only doing you know those new releases for a month at a time. But whenever it does hit streaming or for rental, rent that one as well. Uh, Nomadland is on Hulu. Uh, so check that one out if that um, is something that's up your alley. So yeah, that's all the Oscar coverage you're going to get from me. But I figured I'd give you guys uh, uh, that at least because uh, by the time I record my next podcast for you guys, I will be in my new house, it will be in May, and the Oscars will already be done. So um, that's what I wanted to kind of just express to you all uh, before I wrap this up. And speaking of that, let's go ahead and wrap it up. I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation on uh, Godzilla versus Kong and like some of the Oscar nominees that I have uh, kind of caught up on and explained to you guys. Uh, but let me know down below or tweet at me or send me a message on what you guys think of the Oscar nominations. And I'm, I'm assuming most of you guys have seen everything. But let me know how the ones I didn't see so far, like how they are and how they stack up against the competition. I would like to know your opinions and thoughts. But that will do it for episode 322 of the Real Me and Colony Movie Podcast. I am Chase Lee. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm excited to come back in a few weeks in a new place and get this going. So I, I hope, uh, you know, it's, you know, not too much longer after that to where I can get everything set up and like figure out what my next one's going to be. But I hope this one kind of, uh, holds you over until the next one, but it has been a pleasure, uh, to record it in this house that I'm currently in, but I'm excited to start the new chapter with you guys. So uh, please spread this episode around. Let people know that Real Me and Movie or <laughs> Real Me and Nicole and Movie Podcast is your movie podcast to listen to. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being so patient. I love you all. But I will do it for this episode. I will see you guys next time for whatever I review next. See you guys later.